Welcome to this special episode of Royally Screwed. My name is Chris Shear, and usually I would be talking about some of the best, worst, and craziest rulers throughout history. The show is on break right now, though, so it's time for another special episode. At the beginning of the last group of episodes, I spent two episodes covering the life and rule of Cleopatra, and even only two episodes felt like a bit of a disservice. Okay, yeah, I know I only do one episode over most people on this show. That's a disservice to them as well. So, right away, if you didn't listen to those two episodes, you probably should since I'll be talking about them quite a bit. Cleopatra is one of the most well-known historical figures throughout all of history. If you go to almost any country in the world, people will probably recognize her name. They might not know who she was exactly, but I'd be willing to bet that there'd be some sense of recognition. Because of that, she's been portrayed countless times in almost every type of media available. Hey, she was a real person who existed before copyright laws, so anyone can put her into whatever they want. Now, just a peek behind the scenes for a get-to-know-the-podcaster, I actually went to school for media and communications, which is why I run a podcast. So, I thought I'd merge my love for both media and history for this specific special episode. Let's take a look at how Cleopatra has been portrayed in various media throughout the years. Because literally anyone can choose to write a story about Cleo, it means you get a lot of people who just don't know or don't care about history. I want to take a look at different stories to see if anyone got anywhere close. I have chosen one story from several different formats. One movie, one TV show, one play, and one video game. If you haven't consumed any of this media, maybe you'll be interested once you learn a bit more. Maybe not, and that's okay too. So sit back and take a load off for this installment of Royally Special, The Life and Times of the Queen of Egypt. I'll be talking about the different media in chronological order of release to make things easier, mostly on myself, it doesn't really matter. So, starting off, let's take a look at the play Antony and Cleopatra by the one and only William Shakespeare. Right off the bat, let's talk about judging a theatrical work in this type of setting. I'll be judging it on two very different levels. A play is meant to be performed over and over by thousands of different people over the years. Each production and each performance in each production is unique. So, even though I'll be judging the one performance that I watched, it's hard to grade the play as a whole because maybe there was another performance that did it much better than what I watched, and honestly, I'm sure there is. So I'll try to judge the script as a whole, which is honestly what I'm more interested in for this special, on a different scale than I'll be judging this singular performance. The specific version I watched was a performance from a 1984 made-for-TV production starring Timothy Dalton as Mark Antony and Lynn Redgrave as Cleopatra. Right away, I'll say that almost every single actor and actress in this production was too old for the figure they were portraying, maybe outside of Timothy Dalton and Earl Bowen as Marcus Aemilius Lepidus. At the period in history that Antony and Cleopatra takes place, Cleopatra was in her late 20s. Lynn Redgrave was in her early 40s for this production. I mean, the same is very much true for the actors playing Octavian and Agrippa. 
Tom Roski, Agrippa's actor looks like he's the oldest guy in the play despite the fact that Agrippa was one of the youngest people at the time. Otherwise, initial impression-wise, I'm surprised that they actually got people of color to play some of the roles because usually when you think Shakespearean, it's very white. But I digress, let's get a move on. The play takes place during the time of the Second Triumvirate. It begins right after the failed coup of Antony's wife Fulvia against Octavius and ends with the deaths of the title characters. Overall, it's surprisingly accurate in a historical sense. I mean, it's one of Shakespeare's tragedies, not one of his historical plays, so I actually didn't have that much faith in the bard to write a historically accurate tragedy. I personally think Cleopatra's characterization is kind of weird for the first half of the play. She's written as a very jealous woman whose basically sole character trait is being jealous of Antony over the fact that he's been forced to marry Octavia. There's almost no notion that she is one of the most powerful rulers of the time. Her intelligence is almost never brought up. It also plays a lot into the Cleopatra the seductress type of trope. But I guess the play is kind of first and foremost a love story, so it only makes sense that she would be portrayed this way. But as soon as Antony dies, uh, spoiler alert for history, hey, maybe I should have listened to those two episodes if you didn't already, uh, yeah, he dies a lot earlier in the play than I would have thought, but then Cleopatra becomes the greatest character in the show. The way Shakespeare wrote her fear of becoming Octavian's captive was genuinely impressive. Also, I did enjoy the fact that Octavian is almost solely referred to as Caesar because that's how he would have stylized himself during this time. And of course, since Shakespeare is going along with some common tropes about Cleopatra, he uses an asp for her form of suicide. And there's a surprisingly funny scene right before that where Cleopatra tries to convince a farmer to give her the snake. The farmer is all like, no, my queen, I swear, this is a very deadly snake, to which Cleopatra is all, come on, I know what I'm doing, it's okay. And then she kills herself. Also, the scene where Octavian learns that Antony has died is probably my favorite part of the entire play, even if it doesn't feature either main character. You really get to see that Octavian didn't want any of this. He has a great line that goes, The breaking of so great a thing should make a greater crack, the round world should have shook lions into civil streets and citizens to their dens, the death of Antony. It's just this guy, I mean Octavian, but still just this guy, wondering why the world hasn't ended now that Antony, a man he once trusted more than anyone else, has passed away. So overall, the play was surprisingly good. Not my favorite Shakespeare production, but I had somewhat low expectations for it. It was much better than if I had just tried reading it, which you should never do if you're trying to study or enjoy Shakespeare. Go see an actual performance. And speaking of performances, Dalton and Redgrave pour their entire hearts into this role in true Shakespearean actor form. That has both its upsides and its downsides. In the first half of the play, where Antony feels like the main character, Timothy Dalton is such a larger-than-life character. 
the most surprising aspect of it all was that his death did not feel very Shakespearean. It was very subdued, which almost took me out of it because I felt like he was all of a sudden in a different production. Meanwhile, after Antony's death, where Cleopatra started becoming a really fun character, Lynn Redgrave finally gets to give an out-of-this-world performance where she goes from manic to quiet and cunning with each passing scene. But unlike Dalton with Antony's death, Lynn goes so balls to the walls with her final lines that it does become a bit much. Like I said, there's possibly a production out there that would have made me love this play more. But the entirety of this production was free on YouTube, so you too can check it out if you want. And now that I've gone over my thoughts here for a lot longer than I probably should have, let's move on to the next story. The movie I watched was the 1963 film simply titled Cleopatra. This movie is over four hours long. I did this to myself. Don't do this to yourself unless you really enjoy movies. Or break it up into a few chunks. It has an intermission so you can do that easily. It was written and directed by Joseph L. Mankiewicz, the brother of the guy who wrote Citizen Kane and stars Elizabeth Taylor as Cleopatra. I'm usually not a big fan of older Hollywood movies. It is my genuine opinion that people didn't know how to make movies until the 80s when directors finally learned what pacing was and actors learned the difference between acting in a movie and acting on stage. But I will admit that I was charmed by this gargantuan film. Everything about it was larger than life, which makes sense because at that point it was the most expensive film ever made. Cleopatra's arrival in Europe is like a 10 minute long sequence of some of the most wild costume designs ever, including several dance numbers. It also reminds me of that scene from Aladdin where he's coming in as Prince Ali, there's the whole parade, genie singing, it's all fun and games. I loved that Cleopatra felt much more like the historical character in this compared to Shakespeare's play. Before you even meet her, we're told that Cleo is a genius, and they even included that she spoke a bunch of different languages. That being said, they did greatly diminish the fact that she was just as much of a military commander as Julius Caesar and Mark Antony. The civil war between Cleopatra, her sister Arsinoe, and her brother Ptolemy XIII is very quickly glanced over in the beginning, and Cleopatra's job as a military leader is completely removed. The same thing happens later in the war between Antony and Octavian. Yeah, Cleopatra is at the Battle of Actium, but it's made very clear in the movie that you're supposed to believe Antony is the brains behind the entirety of the last Roman Civil War. Cleopatra had just as big of a role. Another historical gripe I have with the movie is the fact that this movie is also very big on the romance angle between Cleopatra and Caesar, and then Cleopatra and Antony. However, that being said, Cleopatra and Antony's children aren't in the movie. The donations of Alexandria are a big focal point, though not stated by name, but they mean nothing if Cleopatra and Antony's kids aren't a part of it. Even Shakespeare made mentions of their kids without having them in his play. Also, they keep referring to Rome as an empire despite the fact that it really wasn't at this point. 
Cleopatra even outright calls Octavian Emperor at the end of the film. Other than that, it's a pretty good historical love story that portrays each historical character in a fairly faithful light. Also, it's real fun seeing Julius Caesar be a dad. Elizabeth Taylor does an excellent job as Cleopatra even if she's too white for the role. I know it was 1960s Hollywood and god forbid a woman without ivory skin be the lead, just let me have this one thing. Would I ever watch the movie again? Of course not, it's four and a half hours long. And that's coming from someone who loves the Lord of the Rings extended editions and Robert Pattinson's Batman movie. But if you're in the mood for a historical drama movie with some pretty solid acting and writing, I'd recommend it to you. But maybe do it in at least two separate viewings. Our TV show selection is the HBO series Rome. I love this show, I love it a lot. It also has some of my favorite depictions of the historical figures from the end of the Roman Republic period. If you have HBO Max or any other way to watch it, please do. It's a shame that it only got two seasons. The show itself focuses on two Roman soldiers who meet during Julius Caesar's campaign in Gaul right after the death of Crassus, marking the beginning of the end for the First Triumvirate. The two soldiers, while mostly fictional, are based on two men mentioned in Caesar's own autobiography, and they navigate their way through the fall of the First Triumvirate up until Augustus becomes emperor. Because of this time period, Cleopatra obviously plays a major role. Cleopatra is played by British actress Lindsay Marshall, who, despite not being Greek, feels the most like she could be Cleopatra out of all the previous depictions I've seen. It's the first time, at least from what I can remember, where Cleopatra actually feels like a young woman navigating her way through a world of older men. It also helps that it's a more modern show, it aired from 2005 to 2007 and had a massive budget, so all of the outfits and sets feel fairly true to reality. Her Cleopatra is really all over the place, being a manic sex-fueled maniac in some scenes and other times being outright sinister. I remember watching her being introduced and thinking, yeah, Cleo, go girl, and then less than a minute later being like, oh god, uh, yeah, okay, maybe you need to calm down. Loved it. 10 out of 10. The show also actually explores Cleopatra's war against her siblings, albeit very heavily changed so there's not as many characters and it doesn't take as long. Her sisters are completely cut out from the narrative, and Ptolemy the 13th and Ptolemy the 14th are combined into just one character who is played by actor Scott Chisholm who was only 12 during the show. They also explicitly state that Cleopatra and her brother were married. I don't remember any of the other things I watched actually saying that. All of her children are in it as well, with especially Caesarian being fleshed out as a full character with his own character arc and everything. I think I just really enjoy Cleopatra in this show more than any other version of her I've seen because it doesn't really fall back on using her characterization from Shakespeare, which is another slight problem I had with the movie Cleopatra. This version of The Last Pharaoh of Egypt actually felt like the writers did their due diligence in researching the full history. 
yeah, obviously they had to edit some things out for narrative flow, but it still feels really true to the source. Like I said up top, I really love the show Rome, and if you love history or just really good TV shows, I highly recommend it. The fourth and final version of Cleopatra I'm going to talk about is from the 2017 video game Assassin's Creed Origins. The game centers around a man from the 1st century BCE Egypt trying to avenge the death of his son and finding out that the man who killed his son is part of a larger Illuminati-like organization that has people in power in both Ptolemaic Egypt and the Roman Republic. As you progress through the story, you eventually meet Cleopatra, and your quest for revenge also aligns with Cleopatra's goals of putting herself back on the throne as pharaoh after being deposed by Ptolemy XIII. I know I said that Cleopatra in Rome could be sinister, but the game's depiction of Cleopatra is the most conniving one I've seen. She's constantly showing off how much of a strategist she is. Everything she does is to get her butt on the throne, to the point where, for better or worse, an actual line of dialogue in the game is, and forgive my language, I need a fucking throne. Her relationship with Caesar is completely played as furthering that goal, which is something that I always believed anyways when researching her. It's a shame that the game doesn't go far enough in history to give us Cleopatra's story with Mark Antony, because I would have loved to see how the game developers chose to portray that relationship. Her relationship with her brother Ptolemy XIII, Ptolemy XIV isn't in the game, is depicted as outright hostile. You get the sense that, if there weren't any guards around in the scene that the two share, this version of Cleopatra would have strangled him on the spot. Also, spoiler alert for anyone who wants to play the game but hasn't yet, uh, fast forward a minute, Cleopatra does just become a straight up villain by the end of the game. Once you get her on the throne and in Caesar's good graces, she throws you to the metaphorical wolves. This is a version of the pharaoh that is playing political games and doesn't care who she has to screw over in order to make sure she stays on top. It definitely places her on the far end of the depictions of Cleopatra spectrum that I have out of the four versions of her I've covered. Shakespeare's Cleo is on one end with romantic heroine Cleopatra, and Assassin's Creed Cleopatra is on the other with this woman is a political weapon who only cares for herself. But because it's a video game, especially a game by Ubisoft who makes the most bloated games ever, it means that Cleopatra doesn't get as much time to shine as she might in other media because the rest of the game is just so huge. If you just focus on the main story and important side quests, the game is 30 hours long. All of the cutscenes including Cleopatra are around or less than an hour in total. But the little time that she gets, at least compared to the bigger picture of the game's story, is more than enough to make Cleopatra a standout character, you know, besides the fact that she's incredibly famous. You don't really ever see her portrayed like this. Also, the game itself is fun. You can climb the Great Pyramids of Giza, what more could you want? 
to the cutthroat world of politics, the real Cleopatra was able to ride the line of both, though she usually preferred the latter. I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of turning Cleopatra into a romantic icon because I tend to think that she was mostly using both Caesar and Antony as puppets to secure her power in the wake of a crumbling Roman Republic, so I was pleasantly surprised to enjoy those depictions of her in Shakespeare and Elizabeth Taylor's film. And once again, I actually would recommend all four pieces of media I brought to the table, though again, you don't have to watch a four and a half hour long movie, I get it, that's rough. But that's it for this episode of Royally Special. Be sure to subscribe to the show, tell a friend, and subscribe to the Denim Creek page on Twitter and Instagram for more info about each episode. Regular episodes are returning next week. I hope you'll join me then for another topsy-turvy look into history's most interesting rulers.